Well, hello and welcome to Takeover Tuesday. I'm your host, Dermot Buffini. And as you know, the purpose of Takeover Tuesday is to interview people who've been there and done that. People who've achieved superior performance in different areas of life. And I want to know what makes the person as much as what makes the success. My guest today is Mike Foster. Mike is a best-selling author, speaker, and entrepreneur. Over 200,000 people have gone through his powerful workshops, trainings, and his content is designed to help people experience freedom from the hurts and struggles of life so they can thrive once again in their lives. He's been featured in the New York Times, on Good Morning America, and on Fox News, and we're delighted to have him today on Takeover Tuesday. Mike, welcome to the show. It is great to be here. It's great to have you. You know, Mike, you have an unusual business. I asked you what business you're in, and you said you're in the emotional fitness business. Yes. That's got to be some business. It's a great business. I tell people all the time I got the greatest job in the world because I, I just get to lean in with people and help them with their not-so-perfect stories mm-hmm. and help them deal with some of the things that cause a lot of friction and a lot of chaos in their lives and, and really just bring some tools, bring some counseling, bring some insight for them to really begin to thrive again. That's awesome. Well, we've become fast friends. I've been introduced to you through mutual friends. And I can't wait to get into this today because I know it's going to be super helpful. But before we do that, a little bit of background. Where did you grow up? Yeah, I'm a Southern California native. I can't be far from the ocean. That's just my mission in life. Do not go too far from the ocean. So that's why I live now in San Diego. But I grew up in a great family. I think I was one of the lucky ones where my mom and dad loved me well. They... uh, were always incredibly encouraging and went to church every Sunday morning. And it was just kind of a traditional middle-class family. My dad mm-hmm. worked really hard. He was in the Navy. But I also, you know, some things that really informed the work that I do today actually started mm-hmm. in my childhood because coming from this idyllic home front, but there was a lot of chaos and pain actually happening outside. And one of those things early on that happened in my childhood was I was uh, sexually abused by a family friend. You know, when that happens in your life, there's like this nuclear bomb that goes off in your your childhood. And so dealing with the shame of that, the guilt of that, the secrecy of that. Wow. Then later on in my teenage years, one of the things I actually write about in my book is I was on the Colorado River driving a powerboat. And I was driving this boat and pulling a skier. And I began to turn the boat into what I thought was clear water. But... Wow. The water wasn't clear. There's was another skier from another boat who had fallen and was waiting to be picked up in the water. And because of the speed that I was going, because I saw him too late, I actually hit him with this powerboat. I'm 19 years old, by the way. Mm. Again, pretty formative years in terms of how we see life and how we do life. Mm-hmm. When I hit him, I didn't just bump him with the boat. I literally ran him over mm-hmm. where the propeller of the boat ran down his arm, broke off in his head, like not to be too graphic, but it was a horrific accident. They had medevac him to the hospital. He would barely survive. Mm. I'd be prosecuted by the district attorney, even though there was nothing. It was a complete accident. The damage was so intense and so great. The district attorney pressed charges. There'd be lawsuits. You know, I'm 19 years old. Yeah. And there's no playbook for this. There's no like, how do you respond? What do you do? Um, you know, how sad should you be? How positive should you be? Like all these sorts of things that as a 19 year old, I'm trying to process this. Mm-hmm. And then of course, just feeling like the perpetrator of, I'm the reason why this man mm-hmm. who survived, but now is permanently disfigured 
would have to learn because of the blow to the head with a propeller he'd have to learn some basic skills again and do therapy and hmm. so you got all this stuff kind of happening in my story yeah that i had to do the work i had to do the emotional psychological hmm. community all that work to hmm. actually get to a place where I could be free from mm. the things that were in my past. It's always interesting. I sit down with someone like yourself who's so good at what they do, understand the topic and the content so well, and it's always because somebody like yourself has had to walk through it. You didn't look for it. You didn't sign up for it. No. You didn't go to a career counselor going, here's what I want to do, and here's the process I want to go through so much pain in my own life. Because even as you're saying that, I'm thinking, how do you reconcile this idyllic upbringing where you've got your, your folks who are so supportive and yet by the age of 19 years of age, you're already pretty beat up. Yeah. I felt two kind of significant trauma points happened pretty early on in my life. And, you know, I work with people all the time and we learn how life works and how to respond to life when we're young. Mm -hmm. We learn these things in our family. We learn these things in our childhoods. We figure out how the world works. And so when you have trauma, early on trauma in your life, you begin to believe certain things about yourself and who you are. You believe certain things about how the world works. You know, for example, with the abuse, I, I learned that it's best just not to say anything. Mm. Like secrecy. Mm -hmm. I learned secrecy. Mm. I learned like, hey, we just push on it like it never happened. Mm -hmm. I also learned how powerful shame mm. and guilt and all of that, what that does to your insides. Mm -hmm. I learned with the boating accident that... I call them toothpaste moments where the toothpaste comes squirting out of the tube. And no matter how hard we try to get that toothpaste back in the tube, it's not going back in. Like life does not have a redo button. Life mm -hmm. doesn't have an erase button. It's like in many parts of our stories often just land like a big thud. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so what do we do with that? Right. And that's the work you've been doing. Before we get into kind of what you do for your clients and your workshops, how did you deal with your stuff? And who encouraged you? Who was your Mike Foster? To be completely honest, I am still dealing with my stuff. Mm. I think that life is a process mm -hmm. of healing, a process of transformation. My trauma and that stuff doesn't control my life. I'm not operating in sort of a dysfunctional or escapism sort of way in response to that pain. But I do believe that maybe you've lost a child or a, had a miscarriage or you've been betrayed by a friend. Those things heal, okay? But in our society, we talk about closure a lot. We love this idea of just mm -hmm. getting closure. I actually don't believe in closure. I actually believe right. in openings, yeah. that these are openings to new levels of understanding, of compassion and empathy, and we are constantly doing the work mm -hmm. within us. Mm -hmm. Here's what's interesting to me is, People are listening to this and they're out for walks and they're they're listening on their devices and, and they're getting some good information. And, you know, you've got to reconcile, hold on, this is a pretty heavy story, but yet the excitement and enthusiasm in your voice, how do those two things coincide? Because obviously, you know, you've experienced a level of freedom in, in your own yes, journey, in your absolutely. own story. So tell me about the people who come to your workshops and to your presentations and, you know, do you start them by sharing your journey and then they basically attach to it? And what's the process of getting people like you and yourself who have experienced a lot of pain in their life, but I'm having a hard time with the enthusiasm and passion and excitement mm -hmm. in your voice, reconciling those two worlds. How do you get there? Well, here's the thing for me, why I do the work that I do, why I'm happy, why I'm thriving, why I'm not defined by the pain is because I truly believe that with the pain, those valley experiences, those setbacks 
become our unfair advantage in life. And here's what I mean by that. When I can integrate both the good and the bad, the dark and the light into my story, into my life, I live a life of integrity. It's integrated. I don't have anything that I have to hide. I don't have anything that I have to manage some secret that I have to sort of, yeah. you know, there's right. nothing that's sort of unresolved in my life. It's all out there. It's all on the table. And I literally believe that because of my story, because of my past, I have this new authority, credibility, resiliency, empathy that allows me to actually be great at my work Mm -hmm. and connection with people. And without that, Mm -hmm. that strength wouldn't be there. I was reading this really cool article, this science article. I don't read a lot of science articles, but they're talking about gold, how there's gold in our bodies. I didn't know this. Apparently there's like real gold in your body. Like if no we way. killed you. And, oh my gosh. And we don't tell that. my brother this. I, know, I don't might tell be split it. open for 24 carats. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's trace amount helmet. So you're not, it's maybe wow. five bucks worth of gold in you. <laughs> I'll take it. You're safe. Your brother's not going <laughs> to kill you. But So we have this gold in our body and the article says that most of the gold resides in our hearts. In our hearts. And I think that's such a powerful picture of like when our heart is broken, when we go through pain, like our hearts are cracked open, but that releases the gold. Mm-hmm. And so to me, one of the things I teach in the workshop is one of the most powerful things that we could ever say to somebody, and whether we're coaching them, whether we're it's a friend at Starbucks who's going through a tough season, you know, maybe it's somebody at work who's just having a tough day. It's just the two magical words of saying me too. Mm-hmm. I know what that feels like. I know I've been in that season before. And when we are able to say that to each other, that's a very powerful, sacred, beautiful thing that unleashes freedom in people's lives. And obviously we're in the coaching business and we are helping people with their businesses, their finances. And also, you know, in order to help somebody even grow their business, nine times out of 10, it's something that they've dealt with in their personal or their family life that has allowed them to become more productive in their business. Yes. And what I hear you saying is that, you know, I've heard you say, you know, you take people's setbacks and you, and you help them use those setbacks as a superpower. Mm-hmm. There's enthusiasm comes from the freedom that you've experienced. And also, I guess that's the complete opposite of what you felt growing up, which is the shame of secrecy. Mm-hmm. I can easily listen to someone like your story and I can go, well, thank God I haven't gone through that. And so it allows me to kind of take whatever things I've endured in my life and play them down mm-hmm. because they're so minuscule in comparison. But it, it's not a comparison. It's the same thing, right? And so there's people listening here is like, oh, I don't really have much stuff. I don't have that going in my life. But there's still a tremendous benefit to addressing those things. Absolutely. I always say, does it really matter whether you drowned in three feet of water or 30 feet of water? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Mm. You've drowned. And every single one of us have experienced pain. Every one of us knows what it's like to have our heart broken. Nobody grew up in a perfect family. That mm. just doesn't, doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. And so we can minimize our own stories very quickly. Absolutely. Or and minimize that, our own experiences very quickly because they're not like somebody else's and I don't want to complain I don't I, do I really need to dive into this I mean at the end of the day I, know I grew up in Ireland okay and I think of the movie Analyze This do you remember that movie Robert oh, yeah. De Niro and he's a gangster and he goes to see Billy Crystal and he's kind of like you know don't turn me into something I'm not you know I'm a gangster I'm a tough yeah. guy and you see this progression of him breaking down because he's dealing with his emotions I often think you know ah look come on you know, it's easy to kind of go, I don't want to be perceived as a snowflake or I'm a tough guy or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm John Wayne. You just, you just kind of saddle up and move on. What are the benefits 
to someone just kind of what are the tangible benefits of somebody just like hey sit down reflect on your experience and bring it out into the open because I think it takes a lot of courage to do that stuff it absolutely does take a lot of courage and it's not an easy thing to do and we are taught by society that our pain doesn't matter or the past doesn't matter it's like suck it up bootstrap life power through these are wonderful inspirational things that we hear all the time but they're not actually very helpful because what happens is unresolved pain or pain that has not been dealt with in our lives sneaks out in all kinds of different ways, in toxic ways that actually limit our ability to be connected to our spouse, uh, be connected to our kids, to thrive in our business. Like when we have certain triggers that get pushed maybe during the day uh, when we're trying to help a customer or maybe we're disrespected and all of a sudden we have this highly amped up emotional response to that. We're like, oh, I don't know what that is. I'm just going to keep powering through, mm-hmm. right? So it requires some self-awareness and some really saying, I'm going to be strategic about my life. I'm going to be, just as I would be fit with my body, I'm going to mm-hmm. be fit with my emotions. Right. And so this is, to me, one of the areas of our lives that gets often overlooked, but is so key to being a successful mm-hmm. leader. I mean, at the end of the day, it does. I mean, you can't lead others if you're not kind of at least getting some leadership yourself. So many conversations, you know, that are happening about, well, if somebody else could just get healthy, we end up having conversations about someone else. And if they were only a certain way, and it's kind of shifting the responsibility to them, which could be appropriate, but ultimately they don't control the reactions that I have to them. And so how do you start the process with somebody? What's an exercise? You know, you came in this morning, you handed me a journal. Mm-hmm. It's obviously totally blank on the inside. And it's kind of, what did it say on the front of it? It says, they're called narcissistic journals. Capturing our thoughts is actually a really important part Mm -hmm. of being aware of some of the things that are going on. Because what pain in our past does, is it creates this fog Mm -hmm. and sort of this this mystery. And it's, it's hard for us to actually deal with some of these deeper things because they're kind of scrambled all over the place. And so journaling and, and studies show that when we actually write things down, our clarity increases, our ability to activate around what we have mm. written down increases. And so you know, I do a lot of workbooks, a lot of creative things with my work because I actually believe when we can take sort of that stuff that's stirring around inside of our heart and our head and actually get it onto a piece of paper, that's a great starting point. The other thing, uh, step one, is to slow down. See, one of the big things that we do as leaders is we rush and power through life at sort of this incredible speed. And that's a great coping mechanism for us not having to deal with some of the sadness or hurt busyness. within our busyness. Yeah. And so I can't help anybody if they're just running and rushing through life. They literally have to slow down and begin to sit with their heart, sit with their soul, which is not obviously something that we would necessarily choose to do. Okay, so that's a great tip. Like, get a journal, pen and paper, very cheap. Get it out of your head, get it onto paper, and just like, blah, just like, just go. What What are my fears? What hurts? Mm. What do I feel anxiety about? Just start with some basic questions of getting it onto paper because then it actually becomes real Mm -hmm. instead of this sort of boogeyman sitting inside of our head or our heart. It becomes real and we actually go, okay, what would be an appropriate next step to deal with this? Who are the types of people who can help you? Who would you look for if you can't find a Mike Foster or a program or like, you know, pen and paper. Great. Got that. Check the box. Number two is write out what I'm thinking. Number three is... 
health always comes in community. I don't think we're we're meant to do things on our own. There's no sort of self-made people. There's no people that I know who have really experienced freedom in their lives by just sort of journaling and sort of working it out in a solo sort of way. It's really inviting people, experts, and like yourself. Coaching is a great sort of thing to help deal with some of that stuff on our paper that maybe we need to figure out. I'm a big believer in counseling. You know, I am a counselor, but I also go to counseling. Mm -hmm. I pay somebody to listen to me, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. Who's not emotionally involved. Is not emotionally involved. Who's a neutral third party. And and so often in leadership, we're the ones processing and helping others think through their problems, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be, business problem, personal problem. They all kind of blend together. And we're not actually in a position where we're able to talk to somebody about our stuff. And so that's where I'm like, go pay somebody to to do that. I do that. I think it's a very healthy yep. step yep. in terms of our development. And I've definitely talked about it on the podcast. You know, there's eight or nine people I can think of. You've been one of them that I can go and talk to about pretty much anything. You know, I've benefited from mentoring, coaching, counseling, groups, mm-hmm. and then just being in a community. I mean, essentially what we're talking about is, you know, taking care of ourselves first. Mm-hmm. You know, I've also heard people say to me, you know, for me to take care of myself feels so selfish. And I think they're typically the people who really do a great job of taking care of everybody else. And then secretly they feel like, well, nobody's doing that for me. And they feel like unappreciated, like they're coming up short. And so how do you convince somebody to kind of make themselves a priority? There is this belief that we have, uh, and we've learned it, through our friends and relationships and even society that when we do begin to take care of ourselves, that that is seen as a selfish act. And what I teach in my workshops and and through my tools is like self-care is not selfish. Self-care is strategic. Mm. And I don't know any great leader. I don't know anybody who's just like hitting it out of the ballpark who isn't doing some type of Mm self-care on a daily, weekly basis you know, quarterly, annual basis, like literally they have a strategy, they're self-managing, right? And part of self-management is self-care. And when we start doing these practices and saying, listen, I am going to make my heart, my soul, my emotions a priority, Mm -hmm. just like I would, you know, going to the gym and make my body a priority, what I eat and put in my mouth a priority, you know, my business a priority, whatever those parts making yourself a priority is not selfish. It's one of the most strategic things that we can do because it creates a couple things it creates. Number one is it creates sustainability. Mm-hmm. I want to do what I'm doing for a very long time. And the only way that I'm going to achieve that is to make sure that I'm taking care of myself, making sure that I have fuel in the fuel tank. The reality is the life that you're leading, those who are listening to this, is it's like a Sahara desert. Mm. You're walking into the desert. It is hot. It's hard. It's difficult. Life is not fair. Sometimes life is just, it's, it's like a boxing match. And if you are not putting fuel or water, you know, like if you're going to the Sahara Desert and you don't have water in your canteen, Mm -hmm. you are going to die. You are going to hit the brick wall at a hundred miles per hour and you're going to be done. And I know leaders who have completely blown out their adrenal glands because they operate on adrenaline for too long. Mm. I know leaders who, because they didn't take care of their heart, are no longer in leadership because of a very poor choice that they made Mm. because they weren't self-managing. And so to me, it's like, do you love what you're doing? If you do, 
take care of yourself so you can do it for a long time. Mm. Well, you see it also in, in business, especially where someone's brokenness is their greatest gift. It serves them well financially, but it doesn't serve anybody else well. <laughs> yeah, it's the whole question of, is this working for you, but also is it working for those around you? Because it may be working for you. Mm-hmm. Like, this is great. All my dysfunction, all my toxic behavior, my volcanic rage that blows up in a meeting. I'm making lots of money. Sure, it's working for you, but it's not working for those around you. And I promise you, if you're in a marriage or you have kids, if you're not dealing with your pains, not your employees are going to suffer, mm-hmm. but every single relationship is discolored mm-hmm. by the fact that you are not dealing with you in a healthy way. Yeah, that's an obvious one, right? It's the billionaire who's living in the top of the hill, lonely in his own home. But on a more practical level, you know, we have so many of our clients who really love serving other people. They're trying to be married. They're trying to be a mom. They're trying to be a dad. They're trying to take care of their health. They're trying to take care of their customers. All those things are coming at them left, right, and center. You know, I talk about a Puffini company. You know, you say to somebody in the morning, good morning, how are you doing? And they go, great. And they really aren't. And before they've gotten to work, they've had a fight with their spouse. They got cut off in traffic. Their Starbucks came out cold. And just life is off to a bad start. How can you grab the day before it grabs you? Like I hear Mm -hmm. the journaling. What are some other things that you can do just practically that maybe you do? The way I start my day is I I have a check-in with just my heart. I check in with my body. Sometimes I'll wake up in the morning and I'll just be tired. Literally, and so that fatigue in my body is going to inform some of my choices during the day. And I'm going to be aware of like, right now, Mike Foster is tired. Mm -hmm. Maybe I have been on travel. Maybe there's jet lag. Mm -hmm. Being aware of my body, being aware of my emotions. Maybe I'm still carrying some bitterness or anger from the Mm -hmm. previous day. Mm -hmm. Maybe I feel anxiety about some meeting that I'm going into during the day. And so these check-ins and just beginning the day with like, how's it going inside, Mike? Mm -hmm. How's it going inside of there? And just being honest with it, whatever it is, because to your point, we come into work and we know what to say. I'm doing great. I'm doing fine. (laughs) But if you're not, you're the CEO of this company. You would rather know the truth than pretend or have an employee that's just blowing up inside, you know, and lose that employee or have greater issues in the company. I do believe honesty is the best policy. I truly believe that when we are transparent, authentic, that is the place where companies begin to thrive, families begin to thrive, we begin to thrive, but we're so scared to actually live that way. Mm -hmm. There's so much fear of rejection. There's fear of being misunderstood. We feel like we have to be perfect. And those are the things that will drive us to really places in our story that we don't want to go and be the kind of leaders we don't want to be. Yeah, it's true. Well, you know, especially in the States where there's such a performance culture. I remember when my kids were babies, they were like, oh, they're in the 98th percentile or they're in the 65th percentile. You're like, is that good? Is that bad? You know, you're getting graded all the time. You know, we get compensated based on the value we bring to the marketplace. I think for me, and a lot of what you're saying has resonated with me because I think every challenge I've had I've embraced well, has prepared me for the next season of leadership. And I think practically what you're saying is when you take care of yourself first, you check in with yourself like you're saying, you realize sometimes, hold on a sec, I didn't realize I was wrapped this tightly. (laughs) I didn't realize that it's been a month since I've taken a vacation. Man, I didn't realize I'm really eating crappy food. And what I've always found is that when you give yourself that grace, you tend to view people differently too. 
Mm-hmm. And the benefit of just going, well, maybe they need a break. Maybe that they're allowed a bad day. I do agree with you. I just think there's so many things coming up at leaders or parents or all of us every day that it's so easy to get a kind of the wrong response at the wrong time just because you haven't taken care of yourself. Yeah. Well, it's hard to give what you haven't received, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're not practicing grace and acceptance and self-care, it's hard for you to actually give that into the people that you're trying to lead or help. Mm-hmm. Somebody gave me a, a great acronym that's very helpful. And the acronym is HALT. Mm-hmm. And the H stood for hungry. Mm-hmm. If you're hungry, you probably are not going to have the best interaction with somebody, whether it's a kid or a family <laughs> member or, you know, you're thirsty. So We call it hangry. Hangry, like you become, that's right. Because you haven't had the Snickers bar, you become <laughs> The hangry. diva. Yeah, you become the diva and your your body just is reacting in a way that you, it's like, what's going on here? Well, it's your hungry. Exactly. So it's hungry is the H. Angry is the A. Uh-huh. The L is lonely. Yep. And the T is tired. Yes. If you're any one of those things, you're probably better off not proceeding. And there's probably everybody's listening to this right now going, I check all four of those boxes right now. Yep, absolutely. And so let's notice that, right? Right. And I think what I'm hearing you say, though, is sometimes I have to think about that going, am I hungry? Am I angry? I don't know. Which one is it? When I started trying to implement that in my own life, I really struggled because I was so, I had turned off those emotions so much, especially in the busyness of the day, because you'll compensate everything for movement. Even if it's in the wrong direction. At least I will sometimes, you know. And so I think what I've noticed and the benefit for me has been at least being aware of that in the first step. You become more aware of it when it's happening, which means you're quicker to address it, mm-hmm. which means that the world, you can pause it for a second, go take care of whatever you need to take care of and come back and, you know, not get caught up in the crazy conversation there, the crazy train that you're like, I don't know how I got into this. Yeah, I love that. You know, one of the self-care practices that I've added to my life in the past year is actually eating breakfast because I'd power through the day till about 2.30, 3 o'clock without eating anything. I was fully engaged in my work. I loved what I was doing. I mean, still do. But my emotions, I get very emotionally ramped and become sort of the Mike Foster I don't want to be. And so I actually built breakfast into my routine. And it's amazing. I I was talking to my wife about this and she's all like, you're a different person just because I'm eating. So at times if, if you notice your emotions getting, you know, spun out and you're kind of amped up and ramped up, maybe you just need to start eating breakfast and lunch and nourishing your body. Mm-hmm. and not well, attacking your body. You know, obviously I can only speak as a man, but I think at times there's there's things that I've picked up and I know many men have picked up as young men of things maybe we're not supposed to feel, we're not supposed to deal with. You know, growing up in Ireland, you get on with it. You don't bring that up. You go for a few pints. The guy goes in, has a couple of pints again, and starts talking about some stuff. You know, he's talking about stuff that's bothering him, but the next day they're like, ah, that was the drink talking. But it really Uh wasn't the drink talking. Or you see someone who's like, ah, no, I don't deal with any of that stuff. But then you see them at a football game and they're losing their minds. And Mm -hmm. you're like, hold on a sec, that's a pretty emotional response. Why is it that we can be so reluctant to deal with our emotions? It's scary. It's just fear. There's so many things happening in our culture. And you talk about men. It's not okay for men to be connected to their hearts. It's okay for men to be strong, resilient, not to cry. Those are things that we are taught through culture. And every culture is a little bit different, but there's some basic themes about how we learn how to do life. And we either are going to follow those rules and be accepted and fit in and sort of kind of go along with the flow, 
or we're going to do something different. And so like one thing for me is I'm a feeler and I always have been this way, mm-hmm. which made the things that actually happened in my childhood even more impactful, right? And so I feel things very deeply, but it's not okay for a man to be a feeler. I used to cry at movies and just be so embarrassed about this. I was watching a Mercedes-Benz commercial on Sunday Night Football, and I start crying because it's just such a beautiful story. These two kids going <laughs> yeah. to the movie theater. I'm like, it's so amazing. And I just feel things very deeply. But yep. I was ashamed of that for a very long time mm-hmm. and very uncomfortable with the fact that I had tears and felt things very deeply because this didn't fit into the masculine role model. I'm supposed to be strong, be in control of my emotions. And so one of the things I I encourage people to do is be who they are, be how you were created and designed to be. Mm -hmm. And many of the things that we naturally are, we've actually created an alternative self, a false self, a person that we think if I become this person, people will love me, accept me, I'll fit in, and nobody will think I'm weird, right? Because God forbid people think you're weird. (laughs) And so being aware of of the sense of, am I being truly who I am? And whether that's being honest with your emotions, being honest with your strengths and gifts, because here's the other thing. I meet a lot of people, work with a lot of people who just crap all over their God-given gifts Mm. because of their insecurity or fear or because they, they feel like they need to do or be somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so it's like embracing those things that are naturally us. If you're tired, if you're hungry, honor that mm-hmm. and say, that's real. That's I don't have to just sort of press on or mm-hmm. push on or mm-hmm. pretend this isn't a part of me on behalf of a societal framework that I'm supposed to fit into. Mm-hmm. You know, Oscar Wilde said, be yourself because everyone else is taken. Yes. And it's uh, good advice. Yeah, it is good advice. But again, I think it is hard. I think in the society that we're in where it's so fast moving or we have these depictions of what success looks like, it can be very easy to lose yourself in it. And then, as you said, you know, your false self is meeting somebody else's false self and the outcomes aren't always great. No, they're not. So I think that's great advice. There's a lot of hope in what you're saying. It is scary. I think there's some practical things that you said you can do. Just start with pen and paper. Mm-hmm. Start with honoring those feelings, starting to make some space and some time in your busyness. Community. What I'm hearing you say in all that is like, go to some friends who you can really trust and ask them, what's good about me? What do you think is my gifts or my strengths? I'm I'm trying to get clarity on that. It, that even takes a lot of humility to do that. Uh, absolutely. But there's so many people who will tell you, like I can't tell you the amount of times where people said to me, but you're not good at that. I'm like, I'm not, you know, (laughs) no. And that's taken time because I felt obligated that, oh, I need to be good at that. But I really didn't line up with my gift structure. Yes. Or somebody who says, you know what? You're really great at these things. So, and I've always found that if you know those things, you can invest in them. You can be in community about them. What's the hardest thing in your work? Well, I deal with a lot of pain in, in my line of work. I deal with a lot of things that make me angry when I hear about how people have been hurt, how people have been victimized, how people... Uh, have suffered. And I really think I should be much more cynical about the world based on my work. I should be much more of an angry person than I am based on, on the work. But holding on to hope in the sense of like, I truly believe that people can transform their lives, that people can truly transform that pain, that this isn't sort of this the scarlet letter that we have to wear in shame, but it is actually this 
beautiful gift that can be transformed and used as a superpower in our lives. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I was doing a, a call yesterday with a very, very successful CEO. Mm-hmm. This guy, he looks like a model, number one. He like should be in GQ magazine, physically fit. But his marriage, he got like a bombshell announcement in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so he reached out to me. I'm an emergency call. I was on the phone with him for about an hour and a half. And just to sort of give him hope in a very hopeless situation and give him some basic things that he could do to start engaging, mm-hmm. you know, begin to trend in the right direction because he was trending in a very, very destructive direction in his life and gave him a few tips to actually re-engage with his spouse and have a healthy, productive conversation around there. So I had this hour and a half conversation. He called me back at nine o'clock last night and just, we talked for about five minutes. He said, it was the best conversation we've had. It was a 12 out of a scale of 10, mm. you know, one to 10. And to see people just take basic steps towards health where I can coach and counsel and I'm not fixing people. I'm not solving all their problems. Mm. I have this phrase called tiny greatness. That's what I think my life and my role is in people's lives is just to show up and bump them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And when I see people actually do their work and do the hard stuff and address the things that they've been afraid of for a very long time and just then watch them just like come alive, mm-hmm. I swear it is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. So yeah. I'm always hopeful. Like this phone call yesterday, it was desperate, despair, like very dark. Mm-hmm. That was a hard phone call. But throughout the phone call, I believe there was something on the other side mm-hmm. that we could believe for mm-hmm. and that it doesn't end here in the valley. Mm, that's great. You know, as you're saying all that, I'm thinking, okay, we've got people listening here today who are dealing with customers who are dealing with stuff like this. And while they're not trained to do what you do, and nor should they try and do that, same way as our coaches, mm-hmm. you know, when they're talking to somebody who's dealing with stuff in their life, which is heavy, our job is to get them to a professional to help them. So that when they come back to coaching, they're even better and they're even more productive. Are there some certain questions that we can ask in the moment or things that we can do to help somebody? Like mm-hmm. with a question that is kind of like takes the tension or the stress or helps even a customer to kind of calm down. Any questions or techniques that you can offer? Number one, letting yourself off the hook for trying to fix the situation. That's not your responsibility. Yeah. That's not your role. Don't rob that person of the gift and the story that they can tell when they have actually done their own work and mm-hmm. got to the other side. So mm-hmm. so often we don't get involved with trying to help people or get involved with people's problems or have those deeper conversations because we feel like if I do that, then all of a sudden it's my responsibility. <laughs> my opening question whenever I'm counseling is what's on your mind Mm. not how can I help you? Mm. Because asking the question, just saying, hey, what's on your mind? Like maybe you notice somebody at work is kind of down or mm-hmm. struggling. What's on your mind versus how can I help you? I don't say how can I help you because that's an assumption that mm. I'm going to do something to help you. Right. I'm not making that assumption. And so just questions are great, not answers. In the workshop, I tell people I'm going to turn you from an advice giver into a life giver because mm. this is what I've realized. The more advice I give, the more people ignore it. <laughs> it's just true. Mm-hmm. Especially with our kids. Especially with our kids. <laughs> I've got teenagers. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. So asking good questions is, I think, a great... How can I not tell people what to do, 
but help them discover what they should do. And then you do that through questions. And you do that through active listening, too. The sense of, I think one of the greatest gifts we can give to somebody who's hurting or going through a difficult time is the gift of presence, the sense of I see you, I hear you, what you're telling me matters, and I'm listening. Because people actually, they're processing when they're talking. When you're giving advice, that to me starts to break down in terms of the value of that exchange between two people. Because I want to ask, and this probably reveals more about why I don't do the work that you do, because I'm like, okay, what other questions can I ask? And what I'm hearing you say is sometimes just ask them one question. It's like, what's on your mind? And then doing the hard part, which is, Shutting up. Shutting up, yes. Because it's no different than getting what you said earlier was get it out of your mind onto paper. Well, some people don't have that benefit. So if you can do it in a conversation, you can still just do the same thing. Yeah. What other questions can you ask? Well, I really want yeah. to know. Here's another one is what's the real challenge here for you? Mm. That's a great question because it creates this ownership of the issues. So often we're trying to help people and there's this external problem. Mm. There's this person that I hate or she's saying this about me online or my husband or, you know, whatever, like all this sort of external stuff. And when we're sitting here, when I'm sitting with somebody trying to help them, I can't help that other person. I can only help you. And so helping them identify what's the challenge here for you, because that's the only thing that matters right now. And I can only coach the person that's in front of me. And then the next thing that I ask them is, you know, what's the one thing, just one thing What's the one thing that you could do right now that would greatly improve or or change the status of this situation? Again, I'm a huge believer in micro change, small steps, not having to fix the entire problem there in that moment. Just invite that person in to say, okay, what's the real challenge? And then what's the one thing that you can do? Because the other reason why we don't really get involved in people's lives is because we're so frustrated by the results of these conversations. And most of the problem with the results of the conversations is because we're not identifying a next step. All good coaching requires an action step to come from that session, right? And so we do this with people's pain, hurts, personal problems. Like, listen, I've heard what's on your mind. Let's identify the problem. And now let's let's get one thing that we can do. Just one thing. Mm-hmm. Not a list of five things. One thing that you mm-hmm. can do that would improve the situation. That's great. And there are great questions to ask yourself, right? What I'm hearing you say is learn to ask those questions of yourself before you ask them of anybody else. And the more that becomes a habit or becomes familiar, you'll truly be able to serve somebody rather than no one wants to be treated as a project. No one wants to be fixed. <laughs> no. But no. people truly want have a desire to be just heard. Yes. And if they don't hear themselves through a journal or processing, or reflection, or whatever it is, because of the business of life, you know, you got two people showing up going, no matter what the outcome is, I'm not being heard, you're not being heard, that's just powerful, powerful stuff. Wow, there's a lot of good stuff here, but it does take courage to kind of put some stuff on the table and say, get after it, and I need to do this, but what I'm also hearing you say is, and what I've experienced is, there's so much help out there. Oh my gosh, yes. You know, there's so much help, there's so much support. Are there some other tools that you can you can recommend? Yeah, well, we've talked about the value of counseling, we've talked about the value of coaching, we've talked yeah. about I think groups are fantastic. I mean, most of the work that I do is with groups mm-hmm. and helping establish groups and people sharing their not so perfect parts of their story. Yeah, I think there's a lot of value in just getting clear on what it is your fear is. You know, I love um, 
the Enneagram. I don't know if you've ever used the Enneagram. It's a personality yeah, profile. I have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the things I love about the Enneagram is it identifies sort of your core fear in life. And if mm-hmm. you're not aware of that core fear, mm-hmm. if you're not got that really clear in your mind, like this is this is the worst thing that could happen to me, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I love about that test is that actually will identify what that is, not just your strengths. Like I love strengths finders and all the mm-hmm. other tests too, but I'm like, I kind of want to know what I'm afraid of because I, I'm going to orient so much of my life around that, that totally. fear and avoiding that fear. Yeah. And so I think development to me is there's no one, one silver bullet solution. So I think always being a, mm. an individual who's curious yeah. about what's going on inside of you, curious about what's working, what isn't working, mm-hmm. always assessing yeah. those things is, is a really important part of this. And it's true because once you get into the you know two foot of water, you're in mm-hmm. and you don't have to figure it all out. But mm-hmm. once the doors start opening and you start to see things and other people start to tell you stuff or what resources they've used. Yeah. So I'm curious about this Enneagram. What isn't where can people get it? Well, you can Google it, number one, E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. But in the iTunes store, they actually have an app that you can buy for like four ninety nine. take the test, get your results, and you're off and running. Love it. We've got a profile called a Heritage Profile, which is a personality assessment, which helps us coach people and create a system inside of what they're designed to work on, which supports their gifts and their strengths. So, you know, and I've done the Enneagram and I've done every other, you know, do them all. You yes. know, it's always, it's just great, great stuff. You make this kind of topic, you make the heavy light. It should be. I, and that's the thing. There should always be hope and light yeah. when we're talking and about these is. things. There is. You know, I mean, I love, one of the books here is like the people have a second chance and you help people give themselves a second chance in life. You're not done. Yep. It's never over. You know, our average client is 56, 57 years of age, and they get to the point of going, what else? What's next? Yes. And a lot of times we meet them where they've gone, I think I'm done. I think I've done all I can do. And it's so exciting to see people go, hold on a second. There's a lot of life left on there. There's a lot of rubber left on these tires. That, to me, is the great lie that we believe. That's what pain and, and setbacks will tell us. that We're done. Mm-hmm. It's over. Mm-hmm. It's like, it is just beginning. Yeah. We're going to unleash so much possibility in your story right now. And yes, this is going to be hard. And yes, it will be different. And yes, it means you doing some work around this. But mm-hmm. man, it's never over. And I think right. one of the worst things to die with is unused possibility and potential, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to die with no. with stuff that I had, you know, I was created to do and to yeah. present into the world. Right, absolutely. I know you have a podcast coming up yourself. You started. Tell us a little bit about that. What's it called? Yeah, How can people find out about it? <laughs> well, it's called Fun Therapy All with right. Mike Foster. Nice. Uh, it's on iTunes and wherever you get podcasts these days. Mm. It's literally a therapy session that I do with leaders and influencers. The listener is this little fly on the wall. Awesome. And listening in on some very raw and authentic conversations. And I think what my hope with every episode is that people understand that they're not alone, that they're not weird, that these are normal things that all of us are dealing with, and that they learn something about mm. themselves and maybe a new tool or tactic yep. to say, you know what, I can be stronger in this area, I can grow in this area by listening in on these therapy sessions that I'm having. Especially as you consider, you know, I've been doing these podcasts and interviewed some fantastic people and wonderfully successful people. And the thing I've realized in doing them, people have said to me, what's some of the things you've gotten out of doing these podcasts? And it's really two things. One is, is that there's no one on the planet who doesn't need a word of encouragement. And the second thing is, nobody 
has their crap together. <laughs> yes. And and if you meet somebody who thinks they do, just shake their hand, say a prayer for them and walk through the side of the road. And yeah. I think a lot of times the misconception can be is somebody's extremely successful. Somebody's got a great house and a great family and a great and all this. But to be able to listen in a conversation, you're like, oh, them too? Yes. It's so, so much power. So, well, great. When does that start? As the start it's starting, yeah. So Fantastic. It, you can go and get it. And uh, I think it's that sense of like, we realize that, the human experience is messy. Nobody has it figured out. We're all flawed. We all have these parts of our stories, but we don't have to be afraid of that. We can That's grow great. from that and put a lot of fun and, and light around I that. love it. Well, you certainly do that. So fun therapy. I'll be tuning in for that. And I recommend everybody else get on that and, and have a listen. So speaking of fun, I got a few rapid fire questions here. Yes, um, I'm ready. Thanks so much for this. Thanks very much for coming in and, and just kind of opening up the discussion and hopefully it opens up the doors for a lot of folks so I appreciate that very oh, much it's been, we, been we, so much fun we always finish with some rapid fire questions okay just a little bit. you ready I'm ready alright what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given be myself mm. my brother John he wrote a book called be yourself really yeah oh, going to Amazon there right now go. I'm picking that up <laughs> it's true be yourself what one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't have? It's so weird that you asked me this because I actually think about this quite a bit. But I would love to be able to play the piano and sing well enough to where I could go into a restaurant <laughs> and just you know sit down yeah. and, and just entertain people. Like be the guy, like I get up from my table and I walk over to the piano <laughs> and just sing like some amazing Billy Joel uh, song. I love it. Piano man. Piano I man. It. I'll watch out for that. Let me know. I'll come to the restaurant. And I only need one and I'll song. I'll cheer. I'll cheer for you. Uh, that'd be great. I don't need like 10 songs, no. just one song. No, I hear you. I hear you. You know, what's that Chinese? Uh, Chopsticks. Chopsticks. There you go. What book has been most instrumental in your life? You know, there's a book called Immortal Diamond by Richard Rohr uh, that talks a lot about identity and value and, and the dignity that every single person has. Very powerful. I also love the book Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan mm, Manning. I've heard that. It just talks about the, the messiness of life. He was a priest and an alcoholic and just a beautiful story. I love also Anne Lamott. Anything that Anne Lamott writes, she's a beautiful, beautiful writer, New York Times bestseller. But mm. Yeah, I like books. Yeah, cool. What's your favorite song? My favorite song? What's one that you turn on the... Oh, Turn up the full blast. Well, that this is easy. I'm a I'm a T Swift fan. Taylor Swift is <laughs> oh, nice. uh, so not sure. I'm digging the new album per se, but Shake It Off. <laughs> I um, love that one. <laughs> I love Shake It Off, and I just crank that in my house or in the when I'm working out at the gym. I just put the headphones in. And me and T Swift. Uh, that's great. Is there a movie that you watch over and over? Is there one that you sticks out to you that just inspires you, or you just love the story of? You know, I'm so addicted to Pixar. And just anything that they put out, like mm. Up, the movie Up, to mm. me, there's yeah. something just absolutely stunningly huh. beautiful about that movie. Huh. And I, what's the one with the emotions that just came out? Do you remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. Inside, Inside out. out. That's right. That's right. I love that movie. I love that movie. So anything by Pixar, I'm a huge fan. I don't actually go to a lot of movies because I just don't, I'm not very inspired by them, but mm-hmm. give me a cartoon. That I'm, makes I'm sense. all into it. Well, you're in that world. I mean, you're in some of the scary stuff. You're in some of the horror stories. You <laughs> I said. don't need more of no, it. No, no, that's great. Well, listen, thanks so much. You know, we just did a, an event called Mastermind where the theme was, you know, the diamonds in the rough. Yes. And uh, a lot of times this world is a bit rough. Yes. But what I'm hearing you say is that we're all diamonds and we all have value. And sometimes it just needs to be picked up 
polished off and there's lots of diamonds out there to help the diamonds Absolutely. polish. So I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Uh, you're one of my favorite people and really, really appreciate it. I know it's going to help a lot of folks. So thanks so much, Mike. Thanks, Norman. This has been a real thrill for me to be with you and quite a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks a million. God bless you. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. We're also on Android, so download your favorite app from Google Play and tune in for free. We love hearing the feedback, and the reviews help us to let us know the kind of stuff you're enjoying. Our goal is to positively influence as many folks as we can, so please share it with others. And as I finish today, I'd like to leave you with a little Irish blessing our grandfather always said. May the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.